I want you to think about, we're in the book of Exodus, and we're studying through Israel as they go through this wilderness experience for 40 years. Now, can you imagine going on a retreat for 40 years? I mean, that's really what they did. They were camping together. You ever been camping with friends? Typically, they don't end up to being friends before the weekend is over. You know what I mean? Everybody's kind of tired and hot, and everybody's wanting a bath, and, you know, the kids are doing whatever they do, and then make it worse in the Exodus that they, you've got enemies that are trying to kill you all along the journey. And you're thinking, you're going through this, but, you know, God, I, I thought about this week, God took them in the wilderness for 40 years for a reason. One was to get Egypt out of them. You see, they had 400 years to put Egypt into their life and into their generations. God would take 40 years to get Egypt out of their lives so they could understand what it meant to walk with God. And as they walked with God and they had this portable tabernacle, this portable church that they would move around, can you imagine if you're, you're seeing these crazy Israelites going around in circles for 40 years? And they would stop on the Sabbath they would set up this big tent, and all kinds of mysterious things would begin to happen. These priests would put on these special garments, they would go into this special place, and all of a sudden the glory of God would come down on that, and all the peoples around there would look, and they would begin to see and wonder about their God. Then they would see him pack everything up, they would take this holy piece of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant, they would put these poles on it and they would carry it around and they were doing mobile church. And everywhere they said, there they go, I wonder what's going on. And we know what effect it had on them because we read about all these instructions about the foreigners who are among you. In other words, they saw the God of Israel in the Israelites and they wanted that God. They left their gods and they followed after the true God. And it's just like you and I, we have to, if we're going to follow the true God, we have to leave the false gods behind. And a God is anything that captures your attention. Because as soon as it captures your attention, it, soon to, it begins to control your action. You begin to live out the God that you worship. In fact, someone has said that the gods we worship write their names on our faces. It's pretty hard to hide what's really important in your life, isn't it? You know, a lot of people think they've got God all figured out. Have you ever, you ever had one of those moments where I think I've got God all figured out, and if I do this, this, and this, I know God's going to come through? Reminds me of that story of the, the little boy who just come back from church. And the pastor was talking about how God was everywhere. And he was just contemplating the whole thing, and he was having a bowl of cereal, and his mom said, what are you thinking about? I'm thinking about God. And she thought, wow, he's listening. It's amazing. Well, what did you learn? I learned that God is everywhere. She said, that's right, God is everywhere. And then she, he said, now mom, let me ask you something. Is God in our house? Well, yes, he's everywhere. Is God here in the kitchen? Oh, yes, God is here in the kitchen. He looked up at his glass of milk, and he said, mom, is God in that glass of milk? Now, she's a little bit, you know when you get those questions from the third and fourth graders? You know what I'm talking about? You're not really sure where they're going, but you know they're going to trap you because that was why God gave us kids, to trap us. So he looks at his mom, he looks at his milk, and he puts his hand quickly over the top of the glass of milk and says, gotcha. Sometimes we think we've got God trapped. 
Let me give you a couple of uh, uh, wilderness report items here. Here's the first one. Every day is a new adventure with God. Every day should be a new adventure with God. When you're walking with God, you should be praying, first of all, God, show me your glory everywhere I go. God, show me uh, what you want to do in my life. God, show me something about yourself in people. Create divine appointments for me so that when I encounter someone, I know that somehow I can hear the voice of God through the circumstances, through the people, through the Word of God implanted in the Spirit of God that's living inside of me. Every day should be a new adventure. Let me tell you why people get burnt out on religion or God. It is because God doesn't become a new adventure in their life. When God showed up there for, in the book of Exodus chapter 3 to Moses, he said to Moses, he said, take off your shoes for the place you're standing on is holy ground. In other words, Moses, you've walked by this old bush a long time and you never realized I was everywhere. You need to slow down long enough to let me talk to you. And when he finally got around to asking God his name, he said, I am. Now, I don't know about you, but it's like not a good name. What's your name? I am. I'm going to go back to Egypt say, hey, I am sent me. That's right. I am. Think about it. It's present tense. God is always your present tense reality. He doesn't want to be a God of the past or a God of the future. He wants to be a God right now. And God wants his presence to show up in your life and live through you in a powerful and a mighty way. Second point in this wilderness report, you long for the wilderness once you're safe. A few years back, I was doing crusades all over El Salvador. It was just the end of that, that war that had gone on, that civil war where the FMLN had had really tried to just bring chaos to a country. It lasted about 17 years. The good news about that war, by the way, is over those 17 years, almost one-third of that nation came to faith in Christ. Now, you put that in perspective. That was 6 million people, 2 million people, they estimated, came to faith in Christ in El Salvador. It didn't happen to any neighboring countries like that. Let's put it in perspective. That would be 220 million people coming to faith in Christ in America. It's astronomical when you begin to think about it. I can remember times when I was out there preaching in the street, and all of a sudden the FML would come in, and the guns would start to shoot. The tear gas would start. Everybody's running in all directions. I've seen people shot right next to me and killed. And I've got to tell you, there was something really exhilarating about being in those moments. Because you, you had to believe in God. I mean, it, you didn't have a bunch of skeptics out there wanting to preach the gospel in that situation. You wanted to be really sure that you knew God because you might be meeting him pretty quick. And time and time again, we see that if you don't get out on the edge with God, how is God going to come through? You have to live your life on the very edge of disaster that if God doesn't come through, then his word is a lie and God has let you down. That's when it really becomes exciting. That's when Christianity becomes really real, when you, when you really live your life outside the zone of safe. Because just pull back, get everything nice and easy. You know what happened? Here's a warning that God gave to Israel after they got back in the, into their promised land. They said, beware that you don't fall back into an ease of Zion. Just going through the motions. You ever, is your Christianity ever going through the motions? Just kind of, hey, I guess I'll go to church today. There's nothing better going on. You know, what else am I going to do? I guess I'll read my Bible. You know, there's nothing on TV. 
I might as well pray. I mean, things are not going well in the world, so let's just pray. I don't know how to pray, really, but, but let's just start to pray. I remember when I uh, first started college, this is kind of an interesting story. I, I, I'd been saved. You know, no one led me to Christ. I just, you know, found God and found a Bible and started reading it. And I went away to college, and, and I decided that I should pray for people, and I got a board, and I put this board up by my bed, and I just started writing names of people, and I'd start praying. And I didn't know what I was doing. I just trust in God, just praying. And people start knocking on my door and say, hey, would you, I hear you have a prayer ministry. I don't even know what a prayer ministry is. What's a prayer ministry, I would say. I mean, really, I'm, I'm saved like less than a year. I don't know anything about a prayer ministry. I just left the university. I was a pre-law student, and now I'm in the middle of a Christian college, and I've got a prayer ministry. I said, I, I don't know. I don't have a prayer ministry. I have this big board up here, and I'll, I'll write your name on there if you want me to. Yeah, would you write my name? Write my name on there. And all of a sudden, people started coming to my door. Hey, would you write my name on your prayer ministry? I hear you have a prayer ministry. People started becoming saved. Then the local church came over to me and said, I hear you have a prayer ministry. I said, I don't, what, what is going on around here? I don't know anything about a prayer ministry. What is a prayer ministry? Well, you know, you pray for, yeah, I pray for people. But you see, when you begin to trust God and step out, God starts to do something. I mean, what are you praying for and believing God for? I mean, here's most prayers, right? Dear Lord, bless me. Just bless our family. And I'm thinking, God's going, well, what kind of blessing do you want? I have all kinds of blessings. I mean, guys, you want to pray, God bless me, and God says, you know what? Being pregnant's a blessing. You want to get pregnant? How about Job going through adversity was a blessing? Turned out to be a blessing, right? You want that blessing? Better get specific in your prayers because you never know what God, God might do. The other thing is this, that struggle gives birth to miracles in your life. If you're not struggling with something, if you're not trying to get out there and see what God's up to, you're probably not going to see the miracles of God you want to see. It's when we begin to pray for the sick. It's when we begin to trust God for the unbelievable. We begin to see God show up in our life. And I think that's what our world is missing, that supernatural dimension of God showing up in our world. Now, when God showed up there in the book of Exodus, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 25, beginning in verse 23. When he began to show up and began to do some miracles, he began to reveal to them this idea of how you're going to worship me. And he did it with these objects called an altar and a table of showbread. And these are the kind of passages nobody ever reads unless you're reading through the Bible in a year. So the good news is you're going to get some explanation about it. Chapter 25, beginning in verse 23, listen to what God says. You shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, its cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you're reading that sometime, and you're going, so? Do you know that this is a replica of what God has in heaven? That's what Hebrews 9 tells us. He said, I want you to make it after the pattern of the eternal tabernacle in heaven. So God says, somehow this is going to reflect on what I'm going to show you that worship is all about. You shall overlay it with pure gold. You shall make molding of gold around it. You shall make it for the frame of your handbreadth all around, and you shall make gold molding for the frame all around. And you shall make it for it four rings of gold and put rings on the four corners that are on its four legs. Now remember, here's the scene. He says, put these rings on here. You're going to put these poles through, and you're going to have guys that are going to walk around with this table. And everywhere they see that table, they're going to wonder, what is going on there? 
This table actually would, God would have them put bread on there, 12 loaves of bread, one, one loaf for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's a picture, keep in mind now, we're not just talking about something that's kind of way back there, because Jesus revealed himself as the bread from where? Heaven. He sent manna down, and he said, I want you to understand something about me and how I supply your needs. The rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table, and you shall make the poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold, that the table may be carried by them. You shall make dishes and pans and pitchers and bowls for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold. You shall set the showbread on the table before me always. Now let me give you a little hint here. That word showbread, that word show there, is the same word we translate face. This literally could be translated in the Hebrew, the bread of the face of God. When you look into that bread and when you contemplate what I'm doing, I want you to understand something about my presence, about my face. Isn't it interesting that Jesus picked up on that very same thing and he says, take this bread. I want you to understand something about the face of God the presence of God. He revealed himself there, even in Luke 24, after his resurrection. And there he he met with a couple of travelers on the road to Emmaus. And as he met with them on the road, it says their eyes were open and they saw who he was by the breaking of the bread. Transformational things happen. And a little bit later, we're going to share in communion together. And as you think about this message of, of the face of God, we're going to see something of the face of God. And the presence of God. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. Listen to what it says. You shall show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Do you know what it says here? When I go into the presence of God, I have joy. If you don't have joy right now, and I didn't say happiness. I didn't say problem-free living. All right? Anybody got that? If you've got problem-free living and you don't have an issue and there's nothing going on in your life, you're dismissed. If you're pretty well sure that life goes pretty south once in a while and you're a sinner, you're in the right place. I mean, look up and down the aisle. Just look at that bunch you've got sitting next to you. Just take a look. Bunch of sinners, every one of them. Every one of you, if you get the right moment, you will go south in a minute looking for the wrong thing. Am I right? Because see what happens, if we don't feed the divine nature within us with the Word of God and the Spirit of God, we fall back into our own ways and we leave the Lord behind. What we want to do is understand what it means to walk into the presence of God and find joy. And then listen to what it says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. At the right hand of God there are pleasures forevermore. You know what's at the right hand of God? Jesus Christ. Do you know this psalm is speaking of the coming Christ that will be revealed? God the Father, it says, seated at the right hand of the Father is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know where you find joy everlasting and the pleasures that are without end? It is in Jesus Christ. And that's why he told his disciples, my joy do I give unto you, not as the world gives, but my joy do I give unto you, and watch this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. See, I don't know about you, but I can run out of joy like that. I'm driving home from the, from the marriage retreat last night, and my wife and I are talking, and she's wanting to get introspective on me. I'm thinking, no, I'm thinking we just had 48 hours of introspection. I'm about done with this now. It's time to just move on to the next event. Oh, no, we've got to milk this thing. 
We got to go deep. We're going to, what did you mean by that? I didn't mean nothing by it. No, you said it twice. I heard it. I said, I only meant to say it once. You know, pull back another layer. I'm drawn out of layers. I mean, this Dutch boy talked more than he needed to talk already. He's in trouble. But you see, God wants to do something in our life. Here's the, here's the first thought. We need to put God in the very center of our life. See, that's what they did when they had this tabernacle. They would march around with this tabernacle. It would be in the center of the camp, and everywhere they looked, there was God. There's God down there. He's in the center of our life. It was a table that was set before the Lord. It was a reminder that everything that's valuable in your life is related to worship. Whatever you do in word or deed, do unto the glory of God. Have you looked at your kids lately as the image of God? Just look at your kids and say, you are created in the image of the living God. You are created to worship God. You are created with a divine nature that is intent on being filled up with God Almighty. Think of that perspective versus other perspectives you can take on your children. You are a divine creature in the sense that you are created for eternity. You're not divine in the sense you're God, but you are created in the image of God, and God created you for eternity, not simply time. And your job as a parent is to pour into them, regardless what age, pray for them, and, and develop, help them develop what that means to be released in the image of God so that they can become worshipers of God and they become conformed to the image of the living God, and God can be all over them and powerfully moving through them because we need to pray what? Thy kingdom come. Isn't that what Jesus said? The disciples said, teach us how to pray. We don't get it. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom, what? Say it with me loud. What? Come. We want it to come when? You want it to come in 100 years? Or you want it to come now? He said, I can invade your world right now with the kingdom. Let the kingdom come. Come, oh God, in our, and be in our presence, be in our midst. Let the kingdom of God come. Everything valuable was supposed to be about worship of God. Everywhere they went, they took God with them. God was in the presence of those people, and whenever we go, we are going out, and we are the presence of God wherever we go. We're the temple of the living God, the Bible says. Therefore, we're to glorify God in this temple. Sometimes this temple gets messed up. You know what I'm talking about? Start thinking the wrong things. You ever done that? Let me just do a little survey. Let me just ask you to raise your hand and if, see if you can be absolutely honest. Anybody here ever had an impure thought? Just raise your hand. Good, good. That's honesty. One lady back here didn't raise her hand. All right. Okay, anybody here ever just been mad and it wasn't righteous anger? Just been mad as can be. Raise your hand. Oh, that's good. A couple of you never get mad. I love you guys. You're just so righteous. But see, what we have to do is when we get messed up, we have to renew our mind because, you see, the Bible says we're to be a living sacrifice before God, holy and acceptable, which is our spiritual act of worship. You know, the showbread was food. You know what they did? Those loaves of bread, you know who, who fed from those? It was the priests. They would go in, and once a week they would change it. The priests would eat the bread. They would feed on the bread. You know, the Bible says that you're a priest before God. 
God has made us a kingdom of priests. We're a royal priesthood. Do you know what you do? You feed on the bread of God, Jesus. He said, I am the bread come from heaven. You feed on Jesus. All these are pictures. The bread referred to the bread of the face. The Hebrews refer to it even today, the bread of the face. Orthodox Jews, the bread of the face. When they think about this, it's about coming into the face-to-face with God. You ever been face-to-face with somebody? You get to see them how they really are. In a hotel room this weekend, they had one of those mirrors, you know those round magnifying mirrors? Why on earth does anyone want one of those? I looked over, scared me to death. I thought, who is that dude? I don't want to get close to anybody now. That guy scared me. Got pores the size of basketballs. I'm telling you, it's unbelievable you look in there. We want to get close to God, though. We want to, we want to get close enough to God where we see God how God really is. You know what we do? Sometimes we don't get satisfied with the bread. We think we've got to have more. It's like Jesus plus something else. It's like taking the bread of God and putting a little peanut butter on it, a little jelly on it. I just don't know if that's enough. Jesus is enough. You know, the Bible is always relevant. It's people who aren't. All you got to do is read the Bible and people go, wow, that's pretty amazing. God had revealed himself through the manna, the bread. Jesus said, I am, I am dwelt among you. I have come that a, the word of God become flesh and dwelt among you. I want you to know what God is really like. And when you know what God is really like, you're going to love God. Listen to this passage. It's from John chapter 6. And, and, you know, the enemies are always coming, and people are always coming and question Jesus. And listen to what he said. What sign will you perform then? If you'll show us a sign, we're going to believe. What sign that we may see and believe you? What work will you do? These Jews are asking these questions. He said, our fathers ate manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said this, most assuredly, I say unto you, Moses did not give bread from heaven. But the Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then it said, they said this, Lord, give us that bread. Give us that bread. We want some of that, that divine bread you're talking about. And then Jesus said one of the most controversial things in Scripture. It may not look like it. It was one of the reasons they crucified him was because he claimed to be God. They didn't crucify him because he claimed to be Messiah. A lot of people claim to be Messiah. That wasn't the issue. Every young Jewish girl hoped and prayed that she would be the mother of the Messiah. They knew enough about Scripture. They knew enough from Isaiah, from Genesis. They knew there was going to be a virgin birth of some kind. They prayed somehow that they would be uh, the mother of the Messiah. But here's what he said was controversial. John 6.35, he said, I am the bread of life who comes down to me, uh, he who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I say unto you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. In other words, I am God in your midst, and you don't believe. See, what if God shows up in your world and you don't recognize him? You don't acknowledge him. Also, there's no shortcuts to maturity. You ever prayed this prayer? I pray this prayer all the time. God, I want to grow. I want to go deep. I just don't want any pain. I don't want difficulty. I don't want struggle. I just want to really, and I'll just listen. I'll be a good listener, God. It doesn't work that way, does it? Don't you wish it did? 
You know, as, as a parent, sometimes you'll watch your kids go through tough times and you want to rescue them. Do you know that sometimes parents thwart the purposes of God in the life of their children by trying to rescue them from every difficulty? Kids have to learn how to pray and find God, seek God. Why did they, God want them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years? Well, to proclaim the name of God, undoubtedly, but also to prove their character. Character is proven in difficulty and struggles. Think about, think about Jesus. Here's what it says, Matthew chapter 4. It says this, Then Jesus was led, led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Well, can you imagine? Here's what it says, The Spirit of God took Jesus and led him into the wilderness for one purpose to do what? Be tempted by the devil. Do you know that's why in the Lord's Prayer it says, pray like this, lead us not into temptation, because Jesus said this is not going to be a good place for you. When the Spirit of God leads you into temptation, it's a test. And you're going to fail or you're going to win that test. And so he was led, and it says, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. My wife is just finishing a 21-day fast, and she's done fantastic. But I was, I was hungry last night. We got back to the room. It was about midnight. I was starving. Well, probably that's an over-exaggeration. I don't know if I could starve for 40 years if I just quit eating. I got a lot of extra energy stored up already. So I get sliders. I haven't brought to the room. She's laying over there. She's about half asleep. I'm working up, reading a few things. She goes, what do you got? I go, I got some sliders, baby. Got some fries. So you can have fries. You want a fry? Now, she hasn't had meat for 21 days. Chocolate she hasn't had. I mean, a woman doesn't get chocolate for 21 days. It's a scary thing. Woman needs chocolate, amen? I don't know what it is about it. It's something. I think that, that tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil was a chocolate tree. I don't believe it was an apple. Do you? What woman's going to go out there and go, I want an apple. No, I want a chocolate. I want a bonbon. I want something here. So I said, I'm, I apologize. She says, well, I, I just, it just smells so good. I know I'm going to eat them fast, baby. Don't you worry. <laughs> hey, we're good, I'm telling you. About 10 days into that fast, she said, you should go on this fast too. And I go, that attitude, I ain't going on that fast. <laughs> when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Have you ever noticed how Satan comes right where you're weak? But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every what? Word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, I'm going to give you a little, little lesson in a little Greek here. The word right there is not the word logos that we typically think it is, referring to the word specifically as it's in its entirety. It's the word rima. You spell it R-H-E-M-A. It is a word revealed in the word. Jesus was quoting the word of God from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. He said, this word applies to this situation. It was revelation in that moment. 
So listen to what Deuteronomy says. Every commandment which I command you today, must, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply, go in the land, possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all these ways, these 40 years. Do you see the parallel between Matthew 4 and Deuteronomy 8? Israel was led 40 years by the Spirit of God into all kinds of situations that would be tempting. And they wanted, God wanted them to know back then this truth. He says, and the purpose was to humble you, to test you, and to know what is in your heart. See, that's what God wants to do in our life. He wants to humble us, He wants to test us, and He wants to know what's really in our heart. Whether you would keep his commandments, so he humbled you, and he allowed you to hunger, and he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If we were putting that into the Old Testament, into the Greek, it would be every logos that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It only became revelation to Jesus in that situation. In other words, when you read the Word of God, you've got to be reading like this. God, will you speak to me? Will you give me a word from your word about this situation? That's how you have to function. You have to live your life out that way. Let me show you this third thought. Redemption is at the very heart of God. You know what God loves? He loves people to come to faith in Christ. God, he loves us to save us, to rescue us. You know why? Because we're lost. I can get lost going anywhere. I can get lost with a GPS. I don't believe them. I really don't. I think it's messed up. I'm, and it says, Tim, it says, it says to turn. No, no, I know. It's right down here. Trust me. And then I go around. I mean, we've seen all different parts of the city by my directional. But God, the heart of God is redemption. So Paul writes this to the Corinthians in chapter 11. He said, for I del- delivered unto you what I received from the Lord. Here's what he received from the Lord. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread. There it is again, coming back to bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He gave thanks knowing what he was going to face. And he said, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took also the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. In my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink or eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do you know when I take that bread and I take that cup, you know what I'm doing? I'm announcing that Jesus Christ died, he rose from the dead, and guess what? He's coming again. Until he comes again, it says. See how that that second coming is woven right into the Scripture there? Until he comes again. So Peter writes these words. Since you have purified your souls. You know when you come to Christ, you have a purified soul? Now you can get it dirty. But when you come to faith in Christ, you have a purified soul. And it says, how did you do that? By obeying the truth in the Spirit. So here's what you do. Here's a little prayer you can... Offer up to God right now, God, I pray for a pure soul. I pray the Spirit of God will cleanse me by the washing of the Word of God. I pray, Holy Spirit of God, you will speak to me powerfully. Can you hear God speaking right now? He just, he comes in his presence, and sometimes he just comes in little waves. You say, wow, I just sense that God was moving there in my heart. God was moving in my mind. And it says when you do that, you have a sincere love for the brethren. 
You know, it's easy to say hi to somebody. It's harder to have a sincere love for one another. And isn't that what the church is all about? Isn't that what we're supposed to be about? Really loving people and really caring for people. I think one of the great benefits that came out of this couple's retreat this weekend was the fact that we got to hang out together for two days. I went back and I started doing the calculations. How, much, how many services would you have to go through just so we could see each other? I figured it was like a year. You have to come to church for a year just to see each other. But it's great when you begin to see people in all different kinds of situations and environments and makeup and no makeup and, you know, find out that we're not perfect. Sincere love for the brother. Love one another fervently from a pure heart. You see, you have a pure heart. Why? Because the Spirit of God purifies your soul by the Word. I can't love you with a pure heart without the Word and the Spirit. I get all messed up. How about you? I begin to think, well, you know, I think, what did they mean by that? And what's going on? And, you know, let the Word just purify you. Having been, listen to this, born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the Word of God, which lives, and guess what, abides forever. The Word of God comes in. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I am the bread of heaven. The face of God was revealed. Show us the Father, it'll be enough. Philip asked, Have I been with you so long you don't know me? He who's seen me has seen the Father. Let's see the face of God today. Let's, let's take communion and commune with the God of the universe. Join me as we pray. Father, as we pray and as we prepare our hearts now to take this bread and this cup, Father, we ask, Lord Jesus, that your spirit will come powerfully and cleanse our souls. God, that the word of God would become living and active. And, Father, we would come face to face, just like one of those those intense mirrors, God, where we get up close, we see what we're really like. God, we want to get up close and see what you're really like. We welcome you in to this place. We invite your presence to be here in this place, to fill every heart with your spirit, God. And for those who, who maybe don't yet know you, Father, your spirit would begin to touch hearts and begin to draw. You said no man can come to the Father unless the spirit of God draw them. And God, draw people unto you, even in this time of communion. As we serve this communion now, man, would you come and bring the, the bread and the, and the wine. As you take the cup and you take the bread, as God gives you leadership, you can just take the bread and take the cup and, and uh, just remember the Lord. You might be ready right now just to take and drink and eat. You might have to just think about it a moment and think, God, let me just contemplate on what it means to love you. Father, thank you for this bread and for this cup that's a reminder of Jesus. The death, the burial, the resurrection. May we just enjoy your presence now. May you come in a mighty wave of your spirit among us, God. May you wash out all the stuff that we've been accumulating over a lifetime, God, that we haven't really dealt with. May you cleanse us and cause us to stand upright in your glory. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we praise you. 